Hello and welcome to what we think is episode 14. We're pretty sure. Pretty sure. Pretty confident. Pretty confident. Yes. 14. 14. Episode 14. Okay. Oh. How have you been? Oh, um, good. Good. Yes. Well, hopefully my audio sounds a little better. Um, I went out and purchased a laptop because my computer That's was so dying. That's so exciting. Yes, and it is a MacBook, and I'm not used to MacBooks, but so far it's been really great. And uh, I can already tell that it's better suited for things like typing and recording audio than my computer was. So that's great. It is. It's very great. So yeah, I started my new job, and it. How is that going? It's a difficult transition from graveyard to day shift. I will tell you that right now. I am tired at 6 p.m. And that's generally when I pass out on the couch watching TV. And then I wake <laughs> up at 3 a.m. And I'm like, why am I not tired right now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because my dumb ass went to bed at 6 p.m. last night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I get in trouble. Like, I do it to myself, but I cannot stop napping when I get home from work. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't sleep until, like, 1 in the morning. So... <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe we'll find more time to record now. We'll see. That's true. <laughs> well, I have kind of a smaller story today. Maybe it's a smaller okay. story. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we are so prepared for this. I am ready. My dog is hopping up on my couch to join us. She is also ready. Yeah. Oh, cute. Good girl. Is my podcasting support dog. Thank you for the kiss. <laughs> Thank you for the kisses. So have you been? You already asked me that. I but know. I've been good. I uh, have to take the SAT again next week. The SAT? Yeah. I'm sorry? To get into like a special program I want at work, they have to make sure like you, you have the aptitude. Yes, I know. <laughs> and that's like I haven't studied for the SAT for like. God, are you just reliving your junior year of high school? I hate it. Uh, I would too. No, thank you. But you know, with the internet, kids these days have it so much easier. Because <laughs> like you just go on online to like the Khan Academy or something and you just like have all these like SAT built courses that you can take that mm -hmm. are basically like online college courses. When I took the SAT, dad signed me up for a special SAT prep class. So it was at a different high school. Yeah, was I didn't at KU. that. Uh, that was probably like, me. Um, you're not going to be the successful one, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't need the SAT course. <laughs> no, he thought you could handle it, and he thought I was dumb. <laughs> so I needed oh. the extra help. Uh, oh. But God. Yeah, uh, it was at KU, and it was after school, like three days a week. But they didn't teach you more information. They taught you, like, how to play the test, if that makes sense. Like they taught you how oh, to answer good. questions strategically, not yeah, that's what helpful. to study. <laughs> and there was this Dumb. huge, huge SAT prep book that we made our way through. And I was like, yeah, no, I bought it. I have that very book right now. Well, good luck oh, yeah. to you. Oh. oh, thanks. Yes. Oh, in other news. My application is finally pending for that forensic um, psychology course I want to take. So maybe I can squeak in in this next semester in January. 
Maybe. I've registered for fall term, speaking of school, and I'm going to work full time and take three classes, which I know people do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've decided to go back and get my associate's degree because at TMCC, they are offering online classes for the pandemic. So like their actual online classes so I can do the coursework whenever, as long as I get it done by the due date. And at UNR, most of the classes I would need are like zoom classes so they're still at a certain time and just over zoom and i would rather shoot myself in the face than do that again it's yeah, the sounds... worst yeah because like the professors are trying their best but they don't know how to work it either so you know it's just it just is what it is but i'm excited i'm excited to be moving forward for sure do you have anything else to add? Oh, I took the babies in to get their nails cut. Oh. Not babies. My dogs. And every time I go, I think they get like, I don't know. I don't think they understand where they're going, oh. even though we haven't really taken them to the dog park or anything recently because of COVID. Yeah. And so they're like all excited to get in the car and they're super happy on the drive over there <laughs> and even like waiting it's uh they're still really happy until they like go in the back to get their nails cut and they're like wait wait so lady was fine like she had to get like held down to do it but mm -hmm. freya is like a wiggle butt so i had to go into the back to like kind of hold her on the table so she wouldn't like fall off and like hang herself which is terrifying <laughs> and i was doing that and lady was like, there's, like, a little divider, like, um, you know, the waist-high, like, push-open doors yeah, for yeah. employees. So there's one of those, but there's a gap in between that and the floor. And Lady was, like, so concerned that I was on the other side of that that, like, several times, even though she had just got her nails cut, she would, like, try to crawl under Aww. and just, like, look at me. Aww. <laughs> I was Baby. like, I'm so sorry. But we'll have to be here next month, so forget about this. <laughs> I forget about what's happening right now and we'll do it again later <laughs> so when I got Oscar he developed um, brain cancer and had doggy dementia so he had problems but he was fine at the vet like he was really chill until they tried to cut his nails and he squealed like a pig like he was just screaming in the back both times I took him and I was like, what are they doing to my dog? And then they walked me back there and they literally had to like hold him, have like one person hold him and then the other person cut his nails and he was just sitting there yelling. Like it wasn't barking. It wasn't whining. He was yelling. But apparently that's a common thing Aww. with pugs. But it still broke my yeah. heart a little bit. I was like, what are they doing to my dog? And they're like, we're just cutting that's his sad. nails. I promise. They're all drama queens, but it's... <laughs> Oscar was like drama queen numero uno. That's true. I miss him. He was a good doggy. But uh, he was a good boy. Yeah. Uh, Jessie girl is afraid of other people. Like she's got to get warmed up to you. She's really warmed up to Ryan and I now to the point that when we come home, she taps her feet on the ground and she's so excited Aww. and she twirls and we're just like, oh my God. <laughs> But that is so cute. I want to take her to get, like, groomed somewhere nice so they can, like, cut her nails and wash her fur and all that stuff. But I'm worried that she 
won't like the person touching her and she'll get defensive or something. So we found a good doggy daycare that'll help with some of her fear issues. I just got to take her to the vet and make sure everything, like get her an exam and stuff before we go. But I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, and I bet, you know, they'd like that better than being home by themselves with the cats. I read this horrible story the other day. It was on Reddit. <laughs> so I don't know if it was true, but it seemed true. So there's that. <laughs> but the story, like, this lady was saying that she, like, had rescued a dog that had had it for years and it got along well with her cats and everything. And she left for work one day and came home and the dog had like mauled her cat to death. Oh no. Yeah. And she was like, I just don't understand. I don't know what happened to like, they were getting along fine. Mm -hmm. I never would have considered that this was even like a possibility. And then it happened. Yeah. Well, Brian's full work from home right now, so she's never by herself unless we go, like, grocery shopping or something. But, That's uh, good. Yeah. She's really opened up to us, and it makes me really happy. And I think that everyone should get rescues because she's had a hard life before us, and I'm going to give her the best one I possibly can. That's good. Yeah. Enough about our dogs. Do you have a fun murder to tell? Well, not a fun murder, but a good story to tell me. Um, this one is not a child murder. So oh, good. we're kind of deviating from the trend we've been on kind of oh. recently. Oh, I'm sad. Okay. But this one, this one's not a happy murder. So is there such that. thing as a happy murder? Nope. Nope. I'm glad you asked. Okay. I'm going to tell you the story of the murder of Geetha Angara. Geetha Angara. Okay, I'm ready. Geetha Angara. Yes. Okay. So Geetha Angara was actually born in Chennai, India. Did you hear that? <laughs> I think I cut it off in time. Freya is under my desk and she scratched herself and my entire desk shook like there was a fucking earthquake. <laughs> it <laughs> like, sounded like your mic was wait. moving. <laughs> I'll wait for you, Freya. Don't worry. Uh, Don't worry. Take your time. Take your I'll time. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel better? Good. Okay. Okay. So she was born in Chennai, India in 1961. Uh, she earned her bachelor's and master's degree in chemistry from the Laloya College in Chennai. And she was the first woman in the school's history to do it. She was also the top student in the class. And she was the first woman to do it. And I like Hell school yeah. history. You go, girl. So, yeah. Pretty, like, A-plus woman, right? 
1984, she immigrated to the United States, where she earned an additional master's, well, actually additional master's degrees, multiple, and a doctorate in organic chemistry from New York University. God damn, go. Yeah, let's go. She ended up um, settling down with someone. They got married and had three children and settled in Clifton, New Jersey. Well, there's her first mistake. <laughs> so seven years after that, they moved to Holmdel into Monmouth County. But she was working for the Passaic Valley Water Commission. Basically, this is a water treatment plant. Okay. And she had been considering leaving this place, but she changed her mind after she was promoted to senior chemist of the plant and earned a plant operator's license. So she is like the number one girl, the number one like worker in transitioning this plant from using chlorination to treat its water and switching it to an entirely different process. Obviously, her and her family were, like, super proud of her. But a lot of her co-workers apparently resented her promotion and switching the way they did their water. Um, and that's what her husband said. She never socialized much with her co-workers besides a couple. You know, you have those workplace friends. So she had some workplace friends. But workplace you, friends are great because you, you're friends at work and then you'll leave them. You don't talk <laughs> no. You just, your friends at work. faster. Yeah, for sure. Okay. In August of 2004, the ozone system that they had been switching to, it kind of failed for a minute because of some poor welding, but they got that fixed. In January 2005, they found a pinkish substance in the treated water while she was out sick, which made everybody more tense because that's obviously a big no-no. So she had to retrain some of her co-workers as a result. During this time, she started well, to apply for another... Sorry, one second. They found a pinkish substance in the water, and instead of going, let's investigate this, they could be dangerous, she's like, I'll just retrain them. Don't worry. No, no, no. They, they did investigate, and the investigation led to her being asked to retrain some of her coworkers. But there's already tension in the workplace because she got this new position over them oh you know how if people don't think you've really earned your position or whatnot or whatever fucking reason people yeah i I get it yeah be super crappy about it yeah so they're being super crappy about it basically is what it boils down to and then she had to retrain some of them after they were doing something wrong leading to this substance and so she gets back from being out sick for a week and she's like, all right, guys, let's learn this over from square one. <laughs> Apparently, Retraining. we have to talk about this again. Don't let pink substances into the treated water. <laughs> I thought so, that was a common thing. <laughs> so right after this, she's starting to apply for another license, which... I guess made more of her co-workers hate her more for some reason. I don't know why. Like, she's getting more and more qualifications. Oh, my God. They could get the same qualifications. Nothing's stopping them from getting these licenses. Yeah, but you know how it is. People don't want to work. They just want (laughs) to bitch about it. They just want things handed to them, I guess. I got you. Okay. All right. Yeah. A co-worker of hers later told People Magazine this attitude was at least in part racially motivated. 
So In they're quotes, racist it's 98, too. Are 98% you- of the plant is white and not all of them like seeing immigrants do well. Oh my God. Okay. All right. I'm yeah. bold, bold of them to state in the words. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to um, just let that kind of sink in for a little bit, but I'm going to take us back a couple of years first. So that was in 2005. So is this, this before the racist plant? This is kind of something to do with the plant. In 2003, Law and Order Special Victims Unit Brotherhood used the plant as one of its filming locations. In this episode, they filmed it at the plant. It's centered on a cover-up of lethal fraternity hazing where a character's body was found floating in a tank. Oh, no. I I don't know if I want to hear the rest of this story. So, on the morning of February 8th, 2005, she gets to work at 7.30 a.m. as normal. She works until 9.40 a.m., and she has a breakfast with her immediate co-workers. One of her subordinates tells her that the plant's filters and clarity sensors needed to be calibrated, which was true. They went back and they looked, and that was true. The whole group leaves for a building for another building shortly before 10 a.m., and she goes back to the building where she normally works at 10.30. She is carrying a clipboard, a beaker, and a two-way radio. She leaves a sandwich on her desk, apparently intending to eat it when she gets back from recalibrating the system. That was the last time she was seen alive. The subordinate, who had reminded her to calibrate the instruments, went into the basement and noticed broken glass on the floor in one area about 15 to 20 minutes later, but didn't do anything about it. 11 a.m., an hour after, or no, sorry, 30 minutes after she was last seen alive, the subordinate was asking other workers in the lab if anyone had seen her. Uh, no one did, and no one asked any questions about it. The subordinate is her absence suspicious. would not otherwise be noted until 9.20 that night when another worker on the shift noted that her car was still in the parking lot and that sandwich was still on her desk where she left it and her coat was still in the closet. So at that point, her co-workers returned to work from home to search the building for her. Her family had tried to call her cell phone because she was actually supposed to give her daughter a ride to a basketball game and didn't come home. But all those calls went unanswered. Workers eventually called the other members of the family to say they could not find her at work and it didn't look like she had even left. Around midnight, she had been reported missing to the police. Are you still there? Oh, I'm still here. I'm just not happy about the story so far. I think it's the uh, the coworker. I think he did it. The suspicious coworker, the subordinate. If you're saying things, I can't. Oh wait, 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 wait. Okay. Did you get all of that? Yeah. No, I recorded all of it. I could hear you just fine. I did say something and you talked over okay. me though, so that was because my headphones disconnected itself, <laughs> so I couldn't hear you the entire time. And normally. You're, like, talking through cases with me. And I was like, dang, I thought this was real good (laughs) shit. And she's, like, (laughs) completely stone-facing it. (laughs) Well, what I said was the subordinate seems really suspicious, and I think it's that guy. You think so? But, I mean, who notices broken glass? They, like, right, right, and doesn't do anything about it. Yeah. 
but he they weren't lying about the plant's filters and sensors needing to be calibrated. Like, they found that to be true. So they knew where she would be. So, yes, they knew. Well, I think she had the whole area that she had to do. Several. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she was reported to the police before midnight. They called the family and told them it didn't look like she had even left. So they told the family, worker searching the basement finds an area where one of the four-foot-wide, 50-pound aluminum floor panels that opened into the million-gallon tanks was slightly ajar, and the 12 screws that normally held it in place were broken or missing. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. On the floor nearby were some shards of broken glass that looked like the beaker that she had been carrying, and they were swept up and then thrown away. Yep. Huh. Huh, indeed. Uh-huh. At 2 a.m. the next morning, plant officials shut it down so the tank could be drained. When it was, they found her radio and her clipboard. All the rest of the tanks were drained over the course of the same day, and they ended up finding her body in a different tank because it, like, had drifted into it. So she went in one tank and was found in a different tank. The plant had to issue a boil order, a boil water order to everybody as just a precaution. But I doubt they actually told people it was because there was a body in it. Because I would never, ever drink tap water. <laughs> never. There's just no way. Okay, so let's talk about the investigation a little bit. So her body was autopsied by the county coroner's office and they found that she had been alive when she went into the water and reported her cause of death was officially reported as drowning her neck though had deep bruises which suggested a strangulation attempt before she died she also had bruises on her waist and her elbow so it looked like there had been kind of a struggle so maybe they like strangled her to like knock her out and then they put her in there or something yeah something like that that's, I think you're right, because it actually takes, like, five minutes to strangle somebody until you kill them. Because you can strangle somebody until they pass out, like, fast, but for you to actually kill somebody, it takes a significant amount of time. You need to say That's that why, quieter so that all those would-be murderers out there don't hear that. Well, yeah, that, first of all, but a lot of the killers, like, try to go in front of judges and they're like, oh, I just lost my cool, I didn't mean to kill them. And the judges can be like, uh, it takes like five minutes to strangle somebody. So you sat there and thought about it while you were strangling them. So I lost not my cool the moment. for like six minutes. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, buddy, uh, rejected. <laughs> I don't think so. Six days after her death, the county prosecutor named James Avilganio Avigliano. No. Okay. The county prosecutor announced that the case would be investigated as a homicide, mainly due to the bruises on her neck. Yeah, she didn't and, strangle and harm herself before throwing herself into a tank. Right. So, the theory was that whoever had killed her had inca incapacitated her first, probably through the strangulation. Some people say that maybe she had been struck on the head, but there's not a lot of things to, like, support that. I, haven't, I didn't find a lot of websites that said that. So maybe, maybe not, probably not, but there's a chance. 
Then they think they opened the access panel and dumped her in and then kind of replaced the panel. Again, it was kind of ajar, but all the screws that held it in place were broken. Right? Remember that? Mm -hmm. So the issue here is, A, what kind of strength does it take to peel open one of those panels to shove a body into? Mm -hmm. Do you think you'd need some kind of tool or something where you force it up? But secondly, I highly, highly doubt that she frantically pulled it open and then jumped in it. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. And then broke the beaker and left it there on purpose. Like, why would she do that? This just seems a little unreasonable. Because she, yeah, she had her phone with her and her clipboard in the tank with her. So the only other thing she's carrying, she's going to break, break on the ground and leave it there as like a a clue or something. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But remember that. An alarm system would have gone off when it detected things in the water or displacement in the water. But it happened to be malfunctioning that day. Of course it was. There was also not a ladder or a light inside the tank that would have let her climb back up to the basement floor. Mm -hmm. And the water inside the tank was 35 feet deep, so she couldn't stand. Yeah. And the water was only 36 degrees. (gasps) So it was pretty cold. So she was either going to get hypothermia and die or drown. Yes. Due to that, there's not really a lot of forensic evidence that they found at the scene because she had been immersed not only in water for over a day, but it was chlorinated water because it was being treated. So not only was everything that might have been on her gone, or also it affected her body because it was so chlorinated. Oh, no. No, thank you. And the glass from the beaker had been irretrievably disposed of. So it's gone. Because she had been missing and they couldn't find her, the amount of firefighters and police officers and plant workers that were walking through the crime scene before the body was found left it severely compromised. So they basically couldn't trust anything at the scene. Ugh. The plant did have security cameras all around it in the complex, but none in the basement above the tanks. Of course not. Why? Okay. There was also loud machinery in the area where she was attacked and would have muffled any sounds like a scream, a struggle, or a broken glass. This sounds premeditated. That's just my opinion. Oh. Because they picked the perfect spot. You and me both think that. But let's continue. Of the 83 employees of the plant, only 50 had come to work that day for different reasons. Two women in particular were known to have disliked her, widely disliked her, whatever that means, but basically they hated her. (laughs) But no one thought they were capable of killing her over that, which I think people would be surprised. Um, Detectives found, kind of contrary to what the other co-workers said in the beginning that many of them thought well of her but again a lot of them didn't like her yeah so investigators moved on to consider that maybe it was not a planned killing but instead had been a disagreement or something that got out of control they just lucked out to find the perfect spot where there would be no cameras and no one can hear her yeah yeah 
They assumed that it was a male. The killer was a male because the strength required to, like we were talking about, lift and replace the access panel. Even talking, screws, no screws, whatever. The amount of force it would take to do something that was crazy. But the county coroner did say that a woman in sufficient physical condition could have done those things as well. But I don't think, I think they're much more rare mm -hmm. ladies than that. Well, we don't know like uh, how well everything was screwed on. Yeah, stuff too, but they, so. the screws were broken. I mean, I guess there's a chance they had been Maybe broken previously. they were subpar screws. You don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, they were knockoffs. They were actually aluminum and not Steel. real aluminum. Aluminum foil in the shape of a screw. <laughs> Budget cuts. Okay. <laughs> so they take all of these people that were working in the plant that people didn't like, the people who didn't like her, whatever. And they narrowed the group down to three suspects. One was the coworker with first taken note of her absence after walking down that guy. to the base, which I think you're right is the one that was talking to, who was telling her that the calibration and stuff needed to happen that day. A different suspect who had never been named was talking to the police, but the police tells the New York Post, the lead detective says he thinks he's about to confess. And that suspect, after hearing that, gets a lawyer and stops speaking to the police. What? Okay. <laughs> the I'm police said of the that none of them had solid alibis, but they all had access to the place she was, which I think everybody in the plant did. So, yeah, doesn't say a lot. I mean, I guess if I was being questioned for a murder that I didn't commit and it was looking like they were going to try to pin it on me, I would get a lawyer. Don't talk to the police without a lawyer for whatever. Stop giving you criminals like advice. If you committed a murder, talk to the police. Talk away. Tell them everything. Jackie, I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of innocent people in prison. Yeah, and if a you're lot innocent, of that's get a lawyer. Like, oh, the police is on my side, right? Blah, blah, blah. Nope. If you, okay, if you're innocent, get a lawyer. But if you did it, don't. How about just don't kill people? <laughs> don't kill people. There we go. Good. Like it. Glad okay. we settled this once and for all. The same lead detective said, this killer isn't smart, just lucky. They asked all three of them to take lie detector tests with different results. One passed, the other one was inconclusive, and the third one refused. Okay. Divers actually ended up going back through the tanks to see if they had missed anything, and they didn't find anything. In 2006, so a year after, the case goes cold because nothing else happened. They just didn't find anything else. They had the three suspects, but after all of that, they were just like, we got nothing. But this isn't the end of this story. Oh, good. Because 10 years after the killing, the Angara family lobbies the state senator to support their call for a state-level review. What comes out of this review? Well, some of the investigators contact Scottish forensic pathologist Derek Pounder of the U University of Dundee because he is... One of the few who is an expert in the field of drownings, particularly those that occur in cold water. Why didn't they call this guy right off the bat? And they talked to him in particular 
because his research says that in the small percentage of cases, the victim experiences bruising on the neck in a way that closely mimics injuries that would point to strangulation. Huh. But he never examines her body because it had been cremated shortly after her but, death. So there's, I mean, I guess he has pictures, but he didn't really have a way to see it. Yeah. And because they talked to him, lead detective James Wood contacts this guy. And after talking to him and reviewing the evidence, he comes to believe that the case was an accident and the result of negligence rather than malice. Because he thinks that the plate may have been removed before she walked into the room where it was. So someone tore the plate off, broke the aluminum foil screws in half. Breaking the screws. And... Okay. And she was just like, oh, and look, then she an opportunity. In. Oh, my goodness. But as she's falling in or jumping in, she takes the beaker and only the beaker of the thing she's carrying and smashes it on the floor. And just keeps and then everything else in. with it. Okay. Gotcha. All yeah. right. I mean, that doesn't sound plausible to me, but I'm not an investigator, so. Yeah. But I will kind of go back a little bit and say – One of the plant workers tells the New York Post that on the day of the death, on the day of her death, the state ordered some testing going back to like that pinkish discoloration in the water. Mm -hmm. But one supervisor was very old school and required moving the plate to test the water. So the detective believes that somebody forgot to replace the plate, breaking the screws, all of that, like we just said. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But the detective, I guess he's going with, like, the simplest, least amount of work explanation. And that's it. So he thinks that when she came into the area, she couldn't see the hole and falls in. And the detective says, I don't think anyone will ever admit to taking that plate off or putting it back on because they know they're going to be held liable for it. Which, kind of, yeah. But her daughter disputes that theory saying that her mother was exceedingly cautious and it's unlikely she would have failed to see a huge dark wide hole in the floor it was four feet across plant workers at the time said they had never seen one of the panels left open at all her daughter says i think you would have to ignore a lot of facts to believe it was an accident the family has also questioned why her co-workers failed to notice her absent for the rest of their day because she went missing at 10 30 in the morning and not only that, but the guy that was telling her of the stuff that needed to be done, like, saw that she was missing at 11, told people they found the beaker glass, and then was like, yep, uh, that's a wrap, and went home for the day. So, <laughs> yeah. This isn't There's shady. There's no questions. broken things around here. There's just glass on the floor. Hmm. Oh, well, seems like it's a ghost. Have a good night, everyone. Everything's fine here. Jesus Christ. It is. Okay. All right. The last news at all was they were asked the state at the state level for it to be reopened and relooked into because where they left it is just kind of asinine. <laughs> you know, not there's nothing in this case that adds up and it just seems like the police were like, Okay. All right, well that's a wrap. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that is the story of the murder of Geetha Angara. That's a really good story. I'm glad you told it. I have never heard this one before. No, it's interesting. Well, that was a great story, but mine's not as long, which I'm pretty sure since we've been recording for 43 minutes now, everyone's like, thank God. But 
No, that one had a lot of twisty turns I had to get out. This one does too, kind of. It's going to be very critical of the investigation that was held, but I have evidence and explanations for everything. So I just like to ask everyone, keep an open mind to go with me on this and to just hear what I have to say. And before I get started, I would like to say that I do have a lot of respect for our police officers and our investigators. And I think in the vast majority of cases, they do a very good job. But I, as will be seen with this case, there is some corruption in some places, not everywhere. I think that's a pretty good disclaimer, right? Yeah. I mean, with all jobs, you're going to have bad apples. But Oh, for I sure. Think. For sure. Um, so this is the, the Jennings 8, also known as the Jeff Davis 8. And this case takes place between 2005 and, and 2009 in Jeff Davis Parish, Jeff Davis Parish, Louisiana. So Parish is, is the Louisiana equivalent to a county. Okay. Uh, and Jennings is the seat of the parish. So it's like the, the bigger city in that area, which is not very big. And I'll explain that here in a second. These women were found in swamps and canals surrounding Jennings, Louisiana. These are grouped together because the authorities believe that there could be a single, single killer, but evidence also points to several different suspects. The town of Jennings, Louisiana is divided into North Jennings and South Jennings. As I think most places are, you have a good part of town and a bad part of town. North Jennings is where the middle and upper classes live, and there's relatively low crime rates. It's more of like a sense of community, things like that. And South Jennings is where the working and poorer classes live for the most part. And it does have a higher crime rate, a higher rate of drug use, and a higher rate of sex work. Okay. So now I'd like to get into the victims that were found. Loretta Lewis was 28. She's the first of the Jennings eight. She was found floating by a fisherman in a river on May 20th, 2005. She was a known sex worker that was battling a drug addiction. Most of the victims in this case were sex workers or were drug addicts, sometimes a combination of both, which is why I think their deaths weren't investigated better. Oh, okay. But I will explain that here in a second. Bear with me, everyone. Her death was originally believed to be a product of the drug trade that ran along the I-10 corridor. She was married and had two children. Her exact cause of death is unknown. The next victim was named Ernestine Marie Daniels Patterson, who was 30. So they didn't have, like, they didn't find, like, stab wounds or... And some of these they did. And I, I will explain those a little as I go on with each one. Um, there are a lot of different death types. Okay. But for uh, for Patterson, I'll just go with her last name. Uh, two men. So I don't know if I said this, but she was discovered in a canal off a highway south of Jennings. Two men were held for second degree murder, but the charges were later dropped. Her throat had been slashed and wounds on her wrist suggested a significant struggle. The next victim was Kristen Gary Lopez, who is 21. Two people were also held in this case, but were released due to lack of conclusive evidence. 
She was present when a police officer shot and killed a drug dealer in 2005. She was found naked with just one sock on her left foot. She was floating on a, in a body of water. Her body was too decomposed when they found her to determine the cause of death. Jesus. The next victim is Whitney Dubois, who is 26. She was a known sex worker. Her cause of death is unknown, and she was found along a road by a passerby. The next victim is Laconia Muggy Brown, who is 23. She was also a known sex worker. Her throat was slit, and she'd suffered several cuts to the neck and three cuts behind her right ear. She was found along the side of the road. The only reason I'm mentioning that which women were known sex workers is to help explain a little later on what the theories are. But just okay. because they are known sex workers doesn't mean that they're less lesser people or that they shouldn't be given the same investigations that everyone else is getting. No, I think they're just statistically like preyed on a lot more yes. by serial killers because of the transient nature of their work and everything. Mm-hmm. They have to be a little bit more trusting of people because they go to people's houses or get in their cars and then – yeah. For sure. You can't do that with, like, the normal population because if you work at, like, a Walmart, you probably have your own car and you don't really, like, trust people like that, you know? Well, I think the issue is, especially why the wording has changed so much, is because knowing that they live a higher-risk lifestyle, a lot of people just disregard that. And that's why there's been so many people that prey on drug users or sex workers is because people say, oh, they live a high-risk lifestyle. Let's disregard that and focus on other things when that's not okay. Yeah, that's a really shitty attitude to have. Yeah. The next victim is Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno. She's a known sex worker. She lived with another victim shortly before her death. So um, she knew another victim and they lived together. She was found in a wooded area by hunters who had reported a foul smell in the area. Her remains were skeletal, so the cause of death was unable to be determined. The next victim was Brittany Gary, who was 17. She was also a known sex worker. She was last seen alive on video at a dollar store. She was identified from her tattoos, but was decomposed to the point that a cause of death was not determined. She was not finding them in any sort of great amount of time at all. We have to remember this is Louisiana in the summer. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. But this is also Louisiana in the summer. So it's hot and humid. So I think that that probably adds something. Yeah, to it. you're right. And I think there's a ton of bugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Louisiana is known for the swampy. Okay. Okay. Uh, but she was the cousin of Kristen Gary Lopez, who was a previous victim. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But so far, like these women knew each other, a lot of them. So that's also kind of suspicious. Well, not suspicious, but it kind of adds a layer to the story. Uh, the next victim is Nicole Gullery, who is 26. She was found near I-10 just hours after she was reported missing. And oh, no, no. Yeah. And no ruling has yet been made regarding her cause of death. So do you think that's one of the ones the police are like, you know they, how they hold info close to their chest sometimes? So like method and like modes of killing don't get out. I think so. But you might have a different opinion when I start reading the theories and suspects. Okay. 
again, everyone, please have an open mind while I tell you this. So many victims knew each other, two were even related. Um, in December 2008, before the last victim was found, Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff Ricky Edwards formed a task force made up of local, state, and federal law enforcement to investigate the murders. Good step. Um, the first suspect was named Frankie Richard. He was a drug dealer that was seen with some of, some of the victims before their deaths. He even stated, I have gotten high with most of them. Okay, most of the girls had sex with a couple of them. And that is a direct quote. Who is this? His name is Frankie Richard, local drug dealer. Oh, just dealer. some random guy? Okay, mm -hmm. I thought you were talking about one of the police officers for a second. Not yet. Uh, he denies any involvement and claims to have absolutely no knowledge on what could have happened to them. The two brothers of victim Loretta Lewis stated that the last time they saw their sister was at a gas station where she drove off with Frankie Richard. Sheriff Ricky Edwards stated, there's a lot of Ricky and sounds in here, but this is the sheriff, Ricky Edwards, who stated, quote, he was involved in the last day of their lives. So what does that mean? Honestly, I'm not sure, end quote. Yeah, okay, but they say the last person to see victims alive in most cases are the ones that are responsible for their disappearances. Yes, but I just read you all the uh, evidence and stuff that could be held against him. It's just that he knew them and he had gotten high and had sex with some of them. So next. And that's it? Yeah. And one of the chicks got into his car yeah. at the last time that... Huh. Well, I would say that's a pretty big uh, yeah. pointer there. But it's all circumstantial. Like, they don't have anything definitively yeah. to pin him to the crime. Which, I guess, is why all that's of the true. cases we talk about are unsolved. So next, I'd like to talk about possible police corruption and involvement. So, the chief investigator bought a pickup truck from an inmate that was friends with one of the victims. A witness later said they saw Lopez, the third victim, in the truck on the day of her disappearance. But by the time they came up, this came up, the truck had already been washed and resold. This investigator was fined and removed from the case. Again, he was on the task force and knew what they were looking for and washed and resold this truck that could have been held against him as evidence. And what pocketed the money? Well, it was his truck. So let me go oh, through this again. That's suspicious. Yeah. So the chief investigator on the case in this task force bought a pickup truck from an inmate who was friends with one of the victims. A witness. Oh, God. Yeah. And then a witness <laughs> later saw the third victim in this truck. And the chief investigator being on the case knew that that person was going to say something, washed and resold this truck before anybody could look <gasps> at it. That is so shady. Yep. And it was even proven to be accurate because he was fined and removed from the task force. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Oh. Uh, but he that's was outrageous. placed in charge of evidence. No. Is he? I'm, oh I'm my serious. God. Yeah, I'm serious. <clears throat> So investiga an investigative journalist named Ethan Brown started his own investigation in mid-2011. Through extensive interviews with families, suspects, and task force personnel, as well as careful examination of public records, Brown uncovered evidence that led him to believe that this wasn't a serial killer, 
but was in fact a complex cover-up orchestrated by the authorities. What? Well, I what? mean, you already got one guy that was fired for uh, washing and reselling his truck, which was evidence. Yeah. But then I placed mean, in charge of evidence, so. Yeah. He's got us there. <laughs> Brown wrote that the victims not only knew each other well, but all had issues with sex work, drug addiction, and mental illness. All of them had also served as police informants, with some family claiming yep. that victims were anxious and unable to rely on police protection before their disappearances. Uh-huh. So, in December of 2007, two inmates told Jennings Sergeant Jesse Ewing on tape what they knew about the truck from the Lopez case being sold to the investigator and scrubbed clean of evidence. Suspicious of his colleagues, he sent the tapes to a regional FBI office only to have them turn the tapes over to the investigators on the task force. For reporting his suspicions about his coworkers, Ewing was fired and taken off the case because he was fired. <gasps> so for saying... The guy who was like... <gasps> Nuh-uh. Oh, they kept the guy that sold the fucking truck? Yeah, who had one of the victims in his truck and then washed and sold it. Yeah, they kept Jesus him. Christ. But the guy sending tapes to the investigators like, hey, these people are saying that there was police involvement, gets fired. So. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Like, this is all legitimate. This is all verifiable from many different sources. So. Multiple ways. all of this. Yeah, me too. I, uh, I don't like it one bit, but I'm going to continue with this possible police cover-up because this is a theory that I believe in personally because I still have more to go. Multiple witnesses claim that one member of the sheriff's office named David Barry would take his wife and drive around the south side of Jennings and solicit sex workers. They would then drug them and take them home to their sex room. Him this and his wife? Yep, him and his wife together. together. Mm -hmm. Okay, all uh, right. I mean, okay. Despite the multiple allegations, he only sat for one interview with the task force before his death in 2010. Another task force member, Detective Paula Guillory, reportedly lost evidence and was fired. Like fired, fired, or like fake fired, like the other guy? Fired, fired, but she lost evidence. She's just like, I don't know mm. where it went. And then she got fired. Yeah, lost it. Due to Brown's book, it came out that Congressman Charles Bostani, hopefully I'm saying all these right, had slept with three of the victims. The congressman filed a defamation lawsuit, but dropped it after he lost the election. This is strange to so me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I, that was it. It was just, uh, <laughs> that's the noise I made. Uh, it was, this is strange to me because if you honestly believe that the person you filed a defamation lawsuit on ruined your career due to a false accusation, wouldn't you keep the lawsuit? Um, I, you would think so. I would think yep. so. So to further prove this theory, at least six women have come forward and told authorities that deputies raped and trafficked them to male inmates in the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail. There was enough evidence to charge, like fully arrest and charge three deputies in a 2002 corruption case. Oh my God. 2002. 
Yeah. So before this happened. And it could be argued that they then learned not to let the, the victims talk. Uh, one of the deputies was able to remain a small town police officer in Louisiana after being charged with uh, sex trafficking and raping female inmates. Imagine that. The sheriff. I am shocked. In Louisiana, you say? <laughs> shocked, I tell you. Uh, the sheriff that formed the task force, Ricky Edwards, did confirm that after this case, two other deputies were arrested for taking bribes to arrange sex between inmates. One deputy had sex with a female inmate herself, and a third deputy was fired for smuggling contraband into the jail. Corruption all over wow. the place. The last victim, Nicole Jean Guillory, was a witness in this case against the deputies. In 2019, more misconduct was discovered in the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail when two deputies were fired for their role in a brutal beating that left an inmate with two black eyes and second-degree burns. What? Yep. Burns. Burns. Oh, there's no doing that shit on accident, Izzy. Yep. That's why they were. There's no like, oops, second degree. They Jesus. weren't arrested or charged. They were just fired. And good. Well, no, not good. Fired and like thrown right into that prison. Yeah. Let the inmates at them. Jesus. <laughs> And my last point here is that in recently released documents from this jail, they show a pattern and practice of sexual assault by guards of the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail stretching back nearly two decades. And that is all we know about the Jennings or Jeff Davis 8. The Jennings yeah, or Jeff Davis 8. we need to call their governor, like, immediately. Well, the problem is that... That is outrageous. It reportedly even a congressman was involved with these victims. So my sources were Wikipedia, yeah. bio Biography.com, and an article titled Jeff Davis 8, The True Story of the Murder in the Bayou Killings by Tim Ott. KTC.com, Jennings 8 Documentary Highlights Rape Allegations in Parish Jail by Associated Press. Medium.com, Who Murdered Eight Women in Jennings by Just A. Investigationdiscovery.com, Five Things You Need to Know About the Complex Case of the Jennings 8, Mike McPadden. And that is the story of potential police corruption and cover-up. That's outrageous. I was mad about mine. <laughs> I was already in a mood from researching and reading and telling you all about that one all over again. But Yeah, but it's just a whole nother, like, this one legitimately, I was, you normally see, like, police corruption and just that, oh, they lost a piece of evidence. But this one legitimately, there was someone that was, a suspect in the case because he had one of the women in his truck washed and resold it and then was put in charge of evidence. Yep. How does that happen? How does Good that happen? Question. It shouldn't happen. But this is a small town. Like it's a small county, small town. So you can argue that no, it's the good old boys or something like that. Which is, no, no, no I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to explain why maybe corruption runs so rampant. Like, regardless, it shouldn't matter. You should, if you were in charge of our law and defending and protecting the innocent, and even the not innocent, you need to make sure that things like this don't happen. You can't have a jail full of people sex trafficking female inmates to male inmates. Like, yep. that is unacceptable. Yep. 
and like they've even been charged and like charged for it so it's it actually happened like this isn't just a reporter saying something to get an edge this is provable facts that this happened so i don't think we're ever gonna get an answer on the jennings eight but i have my theory for sure oh. <laughs> i have my theory too so yeah i guess the takeaways for this episode can be don't make screws out of alum aluminum foil that's a bad idea wait 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 wait! i do have something to say okay go ahead just real fast so i got my story mainly from wikipedia i highly recommend anybody who wants to do more research start there and i looked four other newspaper articles and articles online about this case. And I found some, but really the Wikipedia article, whoever writes them did such an amazing job just compiling and finding all of this information. And they have their sources am, listed, which I'm impressed by. I am very impressed, but I want to say uh, every so often Wikipedia goes through their um, drive and I just want to say, like, anybody who really uses Wikipedia, Me. it is such a great resource. <laughs> yes, but it is such a great resource for anybody trying to find information that if you have, like, a couple dollars to spare, I would seriously consider donating it because they're completely, like, nonprofit, none of that. They yeah. just have volunteers online who compile everything and add it up. Mm -hmm. And they do a fantastic job i agree so stuff to think about stuff to think about for sure so i guess the takeaway from your story would be not to make your screws out of aluminum foil no matter how hard the budget cuts are mm -hmm. and for mine i'd say fire and put in jail police officers that are convicted of uh raping and sex trafficking female inmates or beating them that's a pretty good takeaway. Yeah, how about don't corruption? Yeah, don't do corruption, everyone. Don't uh, murder. It, don't do murder. There's the takeaway. Don't do murder. If you'd like to follow us and see what we have going on, we've got a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at UCSF Podcast. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us, I just had to buy a whole new laptop in order to record this podcast better. My audio should be better. Uh, feel free to go to our Patreon at Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. The link is in the show notes. And if you like what we're doing, just if you want to donate what you can, we appreciate it. If not, we still appreciate you. And you can send your stories or any suggestions you'd like us to do to our Gmail at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, that's it. Goodbye. Goodbye.